Hi, this is Wilson, pastor of Renew Church OC, a church for imperfect people only. Thanks for joining our podcast. Over the pandemic, a lot of our lives have been reoriented. Whether it's our work, school, friendships, or church, we've become comfortable with a new normal because of COVID. Many of us are asking what church is and how important is it really? Can I be a strong Christian without the church? Or can I go to church in PJs and off a screen for the rest of my life? I hope this series helps you move away from cultural norms and beliefs about church and brings us back into God's word and heart for the local church. Enjoy the sermon. Welcome back, everyone. Um, I know that wasn't an easy question to share, but I'm also really amazed at how our community does share authentically with one another, um, that we're able to bring our real self to each other. And so again, if, if you look at these quotes, I'm sure all of us, including myself, man, every single one of them I've thought, you know, um, and I've believed in so many more uh, lies than these. Life is meaningless, hopeless. I think especially uh, for our our youth and our college students, when school got canceled, a lot of our friends we couldn't see, it just felt like the same day over and over again, like we would never get past it. And I just heard of so much hopelessness in especially the youth of our of our church. Um, you know, again, wanting to be, if I have this, I'll be happy, I'm worthless. You know, when I think about the way, the primary way that Satan attacks us, it's with lies. And, and that might be surprising to you because if you look at horror films, it feels like there's so many more vicious attacks that Satan could um, do. You know, uh, he could possess, you know, all the possession films or concepts we have of Satan where he jumps onto someone and um, they're crawling on the roof or he animates uh, uh, a doll, you know, that chases us called Chucky. Um, but the Bible talks about him lying as his primary way of attacking Christians and his best tool, his most effective tool. When we look at the, when we look at Luke chapter four and Satan's attacking Jesus, we're expecting an all-out war. I kind of want to watch an action movie or an anime where, you know, Jesus throws Satan into a mountain and it explodes where they pull out flaming swords, but they don't, right? Satan lies to Jesus and he uses that as his primary and again, most efficient attack. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says this about Satan. When he lies, he speaks in his native tongue. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Wow, talk about repetition. But I love that this is how he naturally speaks. This is his native tongue. This is the language that he's most familiar with. He lies. But lies are far more dangerous than we understand. Right? They, they can course our life. Everything we do, who we are, how we plan the next five years is based on our thoughts. It's the thoughts that have grown and rooted 
and have caused us to believe and course our life. So when we course our life in truth, and that's what's residing in our minds, we'll live life correctly. But if we believe in lies, then we'll live our whole life incorrectly, outside of God's plan. It will cause us to go towards destruction. Satan has a few ways in which he lies to us. He can amplify the thoughts in our own head. We lie to ourselves, and oftentimes he'll just amplify that, right? So we can say to ourselves that we're worthless. And Satan will, will hear that and or know that that's what we're thinking. He can't read our minds, but he can kind of he can read our facial expressions. We utter words to ourselves and others. And he'll take that concept of worthlessness and he'll expand it a hundredfold. He'll make it consume us. Sometimes he can whisper in our ear and implant those lies and thoughts to us. And we'll find them to grow. He can use another person to damage us, you know, through gossip, through slander, through speaking unlovingly. Uh, even if it's partially true, he'll use someone else to put a lie into our heart. And then also he'll use the world. So we have a lot of lies that media, films, our favorite singers are propagating to us. And we'll believe it because we're surrounded by it, right? Think about the agenda that news and legislators and um, your Netflix films have, that they're trying to give a message. Hollywood is feeding us a message. And some of that is what Satan wants to surround us with, to believe is normal and for us to um, succumb to. And again, we think about what the ultimate outcome of you believing the lie is, right? So if you think, if you're taking notes, which I suggest you do, especially for the sermon, write down the lie that you shared with your friends or didn't share. Write down some of the lies that you are believing. Some of the things that you feel like you've been lied to from others or Satan's trying to amplify in your mind. And then think about what is the outcome of believing that lie? If you totally believe that life is meaningless and hopeless, then you'll give up. And suicide really resides and is the outcome of this complete belief that there is no more hope and meaning. That's the thread that, uh, that allows all the suicides to reside into. So that lie of meaninglessness and hopelessness has a really dramatic outcome. If I have this, then I will be happy. Then you'll pursue that in, for the rest of your life instead of God. If you think I am worthless and you believe that, then you'll let other people take advantage of you, of your body, of, um, of your friendship, of your relationship. You'll speak down on yourself and uh, have a lot of self-harm even in your own thought life. If you believe that God loves you, then this good thing will happen or this bad thing will happen. Life brings bad and good things. God never promises you that. And so when a bad thing has happened, you'll start to withdraw from God. You see, Satan lies to you and Satan also has a plan for your life. 
He doesn't want to just lie to you. He wants to use that life to distort the way you see reality. He wants to, you to believe that everyone's talking behind your back. And then he'll have you look out at your community with a distorted lens. And every time someone is in a group speaking, everyone, every time someone walks by you and doesn't say hello, you'll think that they're talking about you too. And you'll have this blurred vision of reality. The beliefs that we have, especially the lies, um, distort how we see the world. And Satan is coursing our life so that everything we experience around us will be distorted and affirm, confirm the lie that we believe. We live in a culture where when we believe a lie, our friends are supposed to affirm that too. And so that lie grows inside of us. It takes root in our souls. We believe it and then we live accordingly. We withdraw from God. We give up. We pursue something else. We, we leave our friends. Uh, we allow ourselves to be taken advantage of. So what does God give us to combat the lies of the enemy? And, you know, the first question is actually kind of deceptive because it says, what maybe like what are some of the lies that you wrestle with or you believe? And when we really when we really have internalized a lie, we can't identify it anymore. Isn't that crazy? Like when you really believe a lie, you don't believe it's a lie and you can't even point it out. And then again, it courses your life. So what is it that God gives us in order to combat these lies in our life that will end up coursing um, how we do relationships, how we speak to ourselves, and our spiritual health. The word of the Lord is our sword to cut through the lies from the enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 says, The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, as he talks about um, what we are wrestling with, what our fight is really against. He says our fight in Ephesians 6 isn't against flesh and blood. It's not against other people, right? We have such a... Uh, a culture that just demonizes other people, that people are our enemy. That group of people is our enemy. No, God says Satan is our enemy. That our struggle is not with people, with not with flesh and blood primarily. It's with principalities. You know, when, when we go into social justice, is it purely from a structural and power perspective? Or do we take on the lens of scripture and say, we're actually fighting an invisible enemy? And how do we fight him in his lies? With the word of God, the sword of the spirit. And then we see Jesus do this in Luke chapter 4. Again, when Satan and Jesus battle it out, there wasn't a lot of fireworks. It wasn't swords clashing. It was the clashing of lies and truth. Satan says, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And in every single one of his attacks, he attacks the identity of Christ, his worth, if you are the son. <clears throat> and, Satan, and Jesus says, man will not live on bread alone. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. 
but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Is our very survival on the word of God even overbred? Is our very identity, the survival of our souls on the word of God? Jesus combats Satan with scripture. It looks like he's studying Deuteronomy over the course of his life. We know that the Jewish boys would memorize the first five books of the Bible and Jesus was a student of God's word. And so again, as, as Satan asks him, hey, I'll give you all the splendor of the world. All you have to do is worship me, right? If, if you want, whatever you want to be happy, I will give it to you. Jesus says, no, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, from Deuteronomy, he's studying this book. He knows it. It's, at the, it's in his mind and he combats Satan's lies with God's word. Nothing you give me can make me happy. Nothing you give me can truly satisfy me. I will not serve any other God. Then Jesus says, hey, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. The Bible says that God will command his angels concerning you and won't let you strike your foot against a stone, right? So he, Satan knows scripture too. Do you know scripture better than him? Because he will distort it in order to lie to you. He'll use anything. And what he's saying is that if God loves you, he won't let bad things happen to you, right? I mean, there's a lot of layers actually to this temptation. But one of them, I think, is this. And Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He again answers back with scripture. He says, we don't test God. We don't allow God's love for us or his goodness to be contingent on the good and bad in our life, right? And if you know scripture, you know Job. If you thought that God loves you so bad things won't happen, you didn't read the book of Job, (laughs) right? God lets bad things happen to us to form our character, to make sure we're worshiping him because we live in a fallen world, but he redeems it. We should never put ultimatums in front of God. And Jesus knew scripture well enough to know that. So what does the Bible say about the lie that you believe? If you're taking notes, you wrote the lies that you've been wrestling with, that you're trying to identify. That was our discussion question. Then Then you thought out, what are the lies leading to? Satan has a plan for your life. He's trying to kill, steal, and destroy. So what is he trying to do with that lie? What is the end of it? Can we identify that? And then thirdly, what is the Bible saying about that lie? Is there a biblical truth that you're clinging on to, that you've memorized, that you know, and you've chosen that truth over the lie? that you've recited in your mind and you say, this is the ultimate truth and it's going to crush the lies of Satan, right? I I don't want to forgive. They've hurt me too badly. I can't forgive them. So I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to hide. I'm going to think about leaving. And the Bible says, Forgive as I have forgiven you. 
And how has that been ruminating in your heart and your mind? You need specific verses of the Bible to combat your lies and to believe that those verses are true. And by the way, as an aside to the last uh, sermon, this whole concept is built on absolute truth and God and the reliability of God's word. Because if you because if Satan has lied to you and you believe in relative truth, you don't even believe lies exist. So you're going to wholeheartedly believe any lie thrown at you because at the time in which you believe it, it is actually true because you believe in relative truth and truth is beneath you, right? It's under you. You determine it. This whole conversation is built on on the Bible being reliable. Because if you believe that the Bible has flaws and errors, then how do you cling to it? You might be clinging to a verse that happens to be false, a concept that happens to be untrue, a wavering text. We, if you want any chance at fighting Satan, You need to know that God's word is reliable. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but not the word. Think about his view of scripture. Is he wrong? So how are you clinging onto scripture? And lastly, are you a swordsmith? You know, when you look at the sword in your hand in which you're trying to cut through Satan's lies, do you have the Bible? I'm not talking about a physical copy. I'm not talking about your Bible app that has 50 versions and 50 languages. Those aren't, having something and knowing something is very different, right? And when Satan is putting inceptions of thoughts into your mind, a Bible residing on a page that you've never read, a Bible, uh, a verse you read from five years ago that you have like bare bones recollections of, they're not going to help you. Have you been crafting the word of God in your heart and mind so that you have a high view of it, so that it's usurping any message from culture, from friends that Satan might be using at that moment, from your own mind to say, I'm going to take every thought captive by filtering through God's word. You know, maybe you're looking at your sword and all you see is a hand. (laughs) That your actual knowledge of God's word doesn't exist. How Like, you're trying to fight Satan with like positive thinking. You're trying to fight Satan with the secret. You're trying to fight Satan with like, maybe not. Dude, he's he's existed for things. Tens of thousands of years, possibly. He's observed humans for his for the lifetime of humanity. He's smarter than all of us combined. You think you can outwit Satan with your logic? We need God's word. It's our only chance. And I hope that you would be a disciplined wordsmith. That you would love God's word and meditate on a day and night, right? And you would know it. 
and you would believe it and it would guard you. Some of the the easiest way to do this is to join us every morning at 9 a.m. for devotional time. You get um, our pastors, um, you get the leaders of our church helping you just walk through this daily discipline of hearing from the Lord, of sitting, thinking of Him, His Word. So if you're lost on how to do devotionals, if you're lost on if you've had these big gaps in your weeks or months where you're not opening God's word, do it with me. I think it's a great way that I get to disciple you three or four times a week. Answer your questions, share my thoughts. Chrissy, uh, Pastor Chrissy, Rebecca, Daniel, you, like we're all learning and discipling each other and we would love for you to be a part of that. That's like the easiest way possible. 9 a.m., the link is on uh, the top of this page. But you could also open the Bible app. There's so many books of the Bible that it will help you read through. You could set up a Bible plan so that every day you're reading God's Word and sharpening your sword. You're allowing the Word of God to be a storehouse in your heart so that when you're confronted with a thought, you're always saying, but what does the Bible say about it? What is God telling me about this? All right, we need to go through the rest of these points quickly. The Word of God is a sword for our soul. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him whom you must give an account. So here we see that the word of God is alive and active. And this is similar to Ephesians 6, that the sword of the spirit is the word of God, that God's word works in conjunction with the spirit. The spirit of God primarily works through the word of God, but he works in a powerful way. He makes the word of God come alive, right? So that's the difference between an atheist reading the book of God, reading the Bible, and It's just another book to him. But if you have the spirit in your life and you're reading God's word, he is going to speak to you through God's word. Never engage God's word purely academically. It needs to come alive to you through the spirit. So when the spirit of God speaks to you, what happens? Instead of seeing um, life through this clouded, distorted lens that the lies cause you to do he removes he removes that distortion and you get to see reality a reality beyond the physical you get to see God's reality you get to see other people and their value and how they bear God's image instead of demonizing them you get to see purpose beyond yourself you see the reality of of your sin but God's forgiveness you see other people and, and you have a clear mind towards them, a loving heart. The word of God is active. When he teaches you something through, when you learn something through God's word, the spirit will, will use the rest of your life as a lab for you to become the word that he taught you. Right? When you, when you feel hurt by someone, 
maybe that's a lab in which he's allowing forgiveness. All these truths about forgiveness to become true in your heart. You know, maybe you learn about the orphans and widows, uh, about loving the poor, and then you drive through a ho- drive past the freeway, you see a homeless person, and God prompts your heart to say, "Hey, go uh, give him one of those bags that Renew made. Start a conversation." God will open up your eyes and He will construct your life so that the Word of God can be alive to you. And lastly, the Word of God not only cuts through the lies of Satan, but he cuts, it cuts through our own souls. It not only gives us clarity on our external reality, it gives us clarity on our internal reality. It shows us our motivations, our intentions. It doesn't let us get away with trite Christian answers, right? Oh, I'm doing this because I love God. The Word of God will cut through that and say, yeah, there are parts of why you're doing this ministry, why you're serving because you love Him. And then there's other parts that you want attention and accolade and you're trying to earn His favor. The Word of God will cut through those things, right? You look at, a relationship or a situation of conflict and you're like I did nothing wrong and but if you're if you really love God's word and let the spirit speak to you he'll cut through that and he'll say actually you have these things to own you can grow in this way are we allowing God's word to cut into us so that we grow and see who we are lastly it says then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free when you know reality and truth, you will li- live a rooted and meaningful life. Um, the best part of knowing the Bible and being and letting the Spirit tutor us, coach us, right? So I think of the Bible as like a playbook. Uh, I've been coaching my sister uh, in volleyball. Right, so let's say she has a playbook of where she should stand, how she should bump, figures of, and uh, you know how to run different plays, or basketball or football. That's nice. She has all the knowledge, but because I really care about her, uh, because I love her, I've taken her out probably three or four times to do like coaching in volleyball. I'll run drills. I'll correct her. I'll tell her what to do. We'll play as a team, and and um, we'll work off of each other. And so I'm bringing this playbook into life and, I'm, and I become her coach, her tutor in how to apply the playbook that she's read. So that's what, that's what the Spirit does. Here's the Bible. But I'm going to take this Bible and coach you through life with it. I'm going to have it come alive to you. I'm going to, I'm going to teach you all the micro movements on your footwork. I'm going to correct the thing, your weaknesses and help you capitalize on your strengths. I'm going to be your tutor. Read the Bible asking the Spirit to tutor you, asking Him to cut through your heart, asking Him to help you uh, to course your life and to use it as a curriculum so that it becomes, so that you become the truth that it holds. And again, there's great beauty in this. It will set you free. Um, let me give you two examples. So 
I was talking to one of my friends uh, that I, I care about very much. And this person struggles with anxiety and she just re- really feels alone at home. Um, and so one of the things her therapist said that is helpful is like, hey, put pillows all around your room so that you'll like feel safe in your room. So when you go into your room, it will feel very comfortable, like you're being surrounded. And I was like, okay, that's cool. But you're not, you're still alone. Like those pillows might make you feel like you're not alone, but you truly are alone. <laughs> that's, not, that's not very pastoral, right? It's not very comforting. But it's true. The truth of her reality is that there's no humans with her. She's just with pillows. But the Bible says that God is with us all the time. That we can't even hide from him. That he is behind us and before us. He's all around. Darkness is as light to him, right? When we're sleeping, he's with us. When we're awake, he's standing next to us. And I said, friend, I'm not saying to throw away your pillows, but what does it look like to to remember that passage and to experience the reality that God is with you. To say, Lord, here's the word and let me this week, when I feel alone, experience that you're with me. To believe that you're next to me to feel your presence. And and that's not just a, a nice thought. It's not just pillows. It's reality. It's true. God is actually with you. Isn't it so much better to know truth and to lean on that and to have truth comfort us Instead of a nice thought. I said, hey, keep your pillows. You bought them. But if you find any comfort in your pillows, let it be because your pillows remind you that God's with you. Pillows are great. But let all those things just be a reminder of God. I hope that I hope that the gift of God is that it's true. Like you will see those you lost. You there is real hope to see people you lost. There's there is purpose in your life. The word of God says that he's planned good things for you to accomplish. That he's he he's crafted your life, right? What is the reality and truth that you are asking to experience from the Spirit this week? So if you've done this worksheet with me, if you're taking notes, there's a verse that you've put against the lie as your last assignment. And this assignment is to ask God to allow you to experience that reality. That it is true. 
and you're just walking into it. Father, we just are so grateful for your word um, that not only do you know the truth, but you've gifted it to us and allowed us to reside in it. You know, I think about um, some family members who've become Christian and they're just like, man, I wish I knew God earlier because I wasted all this fruit on an idol. <laughs> I've prayed to something that doesn't love me, that's made of wood, that's deaf and mute. I was living in a false reality and my life was empty and then I found God. And then there was purpose and clarity and, and a God who speaks back and is with me. Father, I pray, I pray, God, that you would allow us to know your word so that we can step in and experience it, your spirit in our life. And that we would live anchored lives not one blown and tossed by how we're feeling, what we're thinking at the moment, some, some you know, guru saying something that may or may not be true, the secret, you know, like I pray, Lord, that at this church, amongst this community, we would be swordsmiths for ourselves and for each other and that we would live in truth. We love you so much. We're grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen.